We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. So we're going to continue in the vein of holiness that pastor's been teaching about recently. And um, I am not going to teach on standards. That's not what I'm here to do. That's the pastor's job. And uh, he's been doing a good job with that. And um, But I do want to read a scripture before you're seated. Um, first of all, we'll open with 1 Thessalonians 4 and 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanliness, but unto holiness. Called us unto holiness. Amen. And that's what we're going to talk about. You can be seated. Lord bless you for standing for so long. Amen. God is holy. And his holiness is reflected in his nature, his works, and in his people. Amen. And um, I feel somewhat inadequate tonight to speak about how holy God is because he is so holy. How can I, with my human intellect and language skills, describe how holy the holy God is? There were some men in the Bible that we read about that had encounters with God. And uh, one that came to my mind early on as I was trying to put this lesson together was uh, Isaiah. Isaiah in chapter 6 of Isaiah. In the first verse there, Isaiah is writing here and he says, In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Isaiah writing here as a human being that's had this vision, said, Woe is me, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah realized how holy the Lord was and he got this glimpse of him, it changed his perspective, didn't he? He was a, a prophet. He was a man of God. Um, but he, it wasn't until he had this vision that he realized that I'm an un unclean person. When I look at how holy God is in comparison to who I am and what I am, there really is no comparison. And then another one that came to my mind was uh, Moses. As you recall, as he brought the children of e uh, Israel out of Egypt and they spent 40 years in a wilderness, he had communion with God. And at one point of his ministry, in his leadership, he asked God, I'd, I'd like to see you. You know, he had seen his representation in a burning bush and uh, had to take his shoes off because that was holy ground. But uh, Moses desire, decide, desired to see God face to face. And what did God say? God said, no man's ever seen me and lived. And so what God did was, the Bible tells us, that he had it hid him in the cleft of the rock. So as he walked by, he could see the glory of God and hid him. And then what, what do we see with Moses? He comes down off the mountain, and he's been in the presence of God, and he is glowing so bright that the people are afraid to look at him because the glory of God, because God is holy. And if you get in his presence, you'll find out how holy he really is. Amen. Man, so there was a couple of instances that came to mind. 
as I was doing study for this lesson. I also would like to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and beginning at verse 16 of chapter 6. We'll begin um, at the second line. For ye are the temple of the living God, as God, God has said. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And skipping into chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these precious promises. All these promises, he just read about in chapter 6. Therefore, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to go back and see what it's there for. And it's for these promises, dearly beloved. Let us cleanse ourselves. Oh, there's something we need to do. Cleanse ourselves. From all filthiness of the flesh and small as spirit. That's our spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And then one other reference here. I'd like to turn to 1 Peter. Way in the back of your New Testament. Chapter number 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's read on verse 10, verses 10 and 11. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, I beg you, I ask you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against your soul. Which war against your soul. We're in a battle. If you profess to be a Christian, you are in a battle. You're in the army of the Lord. You're, you're a soldier. Paul talks about the armor of God and putting on the armor of God that you might be able to stand. And when you've done all you can do to stand, just stand and watch the glory of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So we find that we as a people need something to come to us to make up the difference, and that's where we get salvation. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as we go through this lesson tonight. We live in a world today that has rejected God in general. They have their own ideas about who God is. Recently, I um, was talking to a young man, and he, his, he said his God is nature. And, um, and there's a lot of people that believe that. Uh, but they haven't uh, come in contact with the one and true holy God, the one that changes lives, and the one that um, makes a difference in our lives. Amen. We have a world that says that God is love and that he loves us too much to send us to hell. And if we look through the word very far at all, we find that God has never tolerated sin. He's always um, brought judgment when there was disobedience. We find it within the first three chapters of the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And we find it later on in that same book when uh, Noah it finds grace in the eyes of the Lord and God wi wipes out the population of the world save for the family of Noah. So he loves us, yes, but... He also expects us to live for him in holiness. 
and he's a holy God. We don't uh, have the ability to uh, just run through life helter-skelter and do our own thing, live any way we want to, because we are his representation on this earth. And if the people are going to see Jesus Christ, it's our mission as the church to represent him to those around us. And if they can't see Jesus in you, there's something wrong with your experience. Amen. So you need to check yourself against the word of God. And we're going to talk about that as well. So we're so thankful for what God has done in our lives. And uh, certainly... You know, I, I, I feel inadequate to stand up here and say, you know, that God is holy and I know all about him because I certainly don't. His ways are higher than my ways, and um, I'm still discovering things as I read through the word of God. And um, don't forget to do your Bible reading. Right? There's a little plug for the Bible program, the bread program. And it's not too late. If you haven't even started you can still start and finish by the end of the year and read through the Bible. <coughs> and um, it's not, not too late. So get on board. I don't know if there's any more of the uh, reading cards back there, but there's a lot of programs in which you can do that. But you have to immerse yourself in the Word of God if you want to know Jesus Christ. And if you're not getting that Word in you, how can you tell it to somebody else? Amen, and that, that's what we want uh, to be witnesses unto him. So when Jesus Christ was here on the earth and his ministry, he said, ye must be born again. He wasn't bringing about a plan of salvation to where we uh, all uh, are, are feeling drudgery and we're feeling like uh, we're in despair because of the requirements of living for a holy God. Um, we have to first realize that God broke the chains of sin that we were bound in, and we were set free from those chains, and we are now walking in freedom to live for him. And Pastor Hood recently talked about being a bond slave, and because we love our master, we become slaves unto Jesus Christ. And uh, we have that all put through our ear. and We're marked as a slave for the rest of our life once Jesus comes into our life and people recognize there's been a change in you. And uh, so he spoke, uh, Jesus spoke about an opportunity that would free men and women from the bondage of sin. And we're born again. We begin to live above the degradation of the world, things of the world the desires of the world, and we begin a new life of righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost, according to Romans 14, 17. When we die to sin, we repent of our sins, and we turn our back on our former life and begin to walk a new path, walk a new road. And... Uh, the Bible says that the pathway of righteousness is narrow. Not everybody finds it, but the pathway to destruction is broad, and many are going there, right? So you have to be careful. The Bible tells us that we should walk circumspectly. We need to walk in an awareness of the situations we're putting ourselves into, of, what, of the people that we're allowing to affect us in our lives, and uh, the, the way that we live in a general sense so that we won't return to those old ways, right? Because the world's going to be tugging on you, especially when you first come in and, and they see a change in you, they may reject you. And I lost some friends that when I made a full commitment to God, they decided, you know what, I don't need that. And, and I, I don't have any contact with me. They were my buddies, we ran around together. We drove each other's cars, and but they didn't want nothing to do with it now. And um, so that could happen. But think about what God is giving you. He's giving you a better life. He's giving you life eternal with him. Amen. 
Once we're buried with him in baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, we're filled with the Holy Ghost. We speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives us utterance. Through these faiths, responses, we are then born again, and we're born into the family of God. This is a family. Yes, it's an army, but it's a family. Amen? Amen. At the moment of salvation, holiness is imparted to us through the Spirit as a result of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. 1 John 2 and 15. 1 John 2 and 15. It tells us that we should not love the world, nor the things of the world. For if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you, right? You love the world. The things of the world, the systems of the world. Amen. That doesn't mean that we can't enjoy nature, that we can't go out and see how beautiful Lake Tahoe is, you know, going to the woods camping, which I love to do, um, those kinds of things. But our goal is not to make this world better. Our goal is to represent Jesus Christ to our world so that they can see the benefit of living for him and living a righteous and holy life. So when we receive this salvation that we've just talked about, When God looks at us, he doesn't see the sin that we had in our life prior to the chains of sin being broken. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ that has blotted out all those sins. It's as if a sponge has been taken and and it's blotted our transgressions out. And all that is seen is the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are therefore clean before an almighty God, a holy God, a holy God. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 7 says, We are not called to uncleanliness, but to holiness. Amen. We need to remember that God has put a calling on our life as the church and members of the church that we would represent him and always be a testimony to him. We can't do that if we're living for him on Sunday only or Wednesday night only, uh, but we need to do that consistently in our daily lives. When we're at home, when we're at work, when we're at play, whatever it is, that we're consistent. We're consistent, living for him. Angels were crying holy. God has a holy nature. We need to understand the nature of God. His holiness is an essential aspect of his nature. God's call to be holy echoes through the the Bible in many areas, but we see it first off in Mount Sinai in Leviticus 20 and 7 when God begins to talk about him being holy and they being a holy people, a holy people. Everything that exists in his presence must be holy, must be clean, must be righteous. And so when I began to think about that, I thought, you know, what's the Bible say about that? Well, in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 29, it says, Our God is a consuming fire, a consuming fire. And um, I remember as a teenager uh, in high school, I had a shop class, and we had big furnaces, and we melted metals down. And um, that fire would refine the metals and would bring them to from a solid state to a liquid state. And all the impurities would float to the top. We would scrape that off, which was called slag. And all you'd be left with is the pure metal that you were trying to work with. So if God is a consuming fire, he is trying to refine us to make us what he wants us to be so we can be more like him. To be like Jesus, the song that we sang earlier that came to my heart, and I was like, man, we haven't sang that in so long. We need to sing that. 
to be like Jesus. I want to be like him. On earth, I want to be like him. And I'm not waiting until I get to heaven so I can put on this glorified body. I'm trying to do that now on this planet. Amen. Exodus 15, 11. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? The holiness of God and his glory, his cleanliness, righteousness, sanctity, and purity are the essential essence of who God is. Who God is. He is holy, is the bedrock truth, the foundation of moral behavior for us Christians. Amen? James 1.17. James 1.17. You are on it, brother. You are good. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness. No variableness. And no shadow of turning. What does that mean, shadow of turning? And uh, I heard it explained this way. You know, when the, the noonday, when you're right under the sun, you don't cast much shadow, do you? But by 5 o'clock in the afternoon, you can have a shadow that reaches clear to that wall over there. So what this is telling us is that God is always overhead. He's always attainable. He's always reachable. You don't, don't have to... Get out a megaphone and, and say, where are you, God? Because he is always there. He is always there. They, and he's always consistent when we need him. Praise God. John 1 and 1. So if God is holy, his word is holy. His word is holy. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word was God. And then we, if we go down to verse 14 of that same chapter, John 1 and 14, it says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us and dwelt among us. Tempted in all ways like we are, but yet without sin. The man, the, the man Jesus Christ, was tempted just like we get tempted, but yet without sin. He had a nature in him that when it came to the point where he knew he was going to be sacrificed, he said, Father, if, if there's another way for us to do this, you know, let's, let's look at some other options. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Amen. And aren't you thankful he did? If we didn't have the cross of Calvary. So the words and of God framed the world. Hebrews 11 and 3 tells us. And the word came to prophets of the Old Testament. We read different places. Um, I meant reading in Isaiah recently. Um, and it's foretelling the fall of Israel. And now, in fact, I just went into Jeremiah this week. And, you know, you hear, hear the weeping prophet talking about judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And it did, didn't it? And uh, he gets pretty specific about where it's coming from. So the word came to these prophets, and God demonstrated by carrying out the word that came to the prophets, fulfilling the word that the prophets had given the nation of Israel. And the word never failed. God's word is infallible. And so I would say this to you. If God has ever made you a promise, you can hold on to that. Amen. If God has ever told you, like he did me, your kids are going to be saved, I'm going to hold on to that. I don't, I don't know how it's all going to come to happen. I just know that there's a promise from God. Amen. And we can hold on to his promises. So as these prophets wrote, the book became infallible as they wrote. And we have all the records uh, in the Old Testament of these prophets that wrote. And it became 
the holy word of God, which is pure and clean and righteous. And it never changes. The word of God does not change. Our society changes. I was thinking about that today. I'm like, you know, used to, we had really wide ties. Then they went to really skinny ties. They're kind of skinny again. And, and I'm trying to stay somewhere in the middle. And I'm on the level because my bubble's in the middle. So, um, society changes. Fashions change, right? What, what's important in a vehicle changes. We got a car out in the parking lot tonight that's so smart I can't hardly drive the thing. Uh, it's hard enough using a smartphone, right? It is for me at least. Amen. But just because society changes, things change. The word of God does not change. God does not change. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, forever. Let's look at Isaiah 57, 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth, inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. His name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And then in Psalms 47 and 8, David's writing here, it says, God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness, of his holiness. God is holy. When we look at some Old Testament examples of God's presence, um, we look at, first of all, we see uh, the children of Israel out in the wilderness, and God gives Moses the tabernacle plan. And he tells them how to build a tabernacle. And it's a place of meetings. A tent of meetings is the actual literal translation. Tent of meetings. Where God was going to come and dwell. And so they erected it per God's instructions. They dedicated the furniture that was to go in to the holy place and the holiest of holies and the altar and the laver and all those articles that were built for the, the uh, tabernacle. But it wasn't until the presence of God came into the tabernacle and dwelt between the cherubims that God's presence was there. But when it came and the fire from heaven came, the people fell down and worshiped because of the fire. Remember, God is a consuming fire. And... Um, it became known by the other nations around them that we don't want to mess with those people because God is on their side, right? right? And we see some examples in the Old Testament where uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant was taken out on the shoulders of the priests out to a battle and to see that the army that was going to attack them flee in another direction because they recognize that the glory of the Lord was there. And another ins instance that I was thinking of um, was David when he brought the tabernacle from Shiloh where it sent set since the days of Joshua. He wanted it in the city of David. Now, there was no temple mount yet. There was no temple. There was still the tabernacle at Shiloh. And when David brought it, he set up a place to set up that tabernacle and uh, and, be c and when he did so, in Psalms 48, verses 1 and 2, talks about the dwelling place of the Ark of the Covenant was called the mountain of his holiness. His holiness. Now, recently, um, if you've done any research lately there's there's some information that they think they have found where this tabernacle was once erected and it's right near a place they identify as David's house that was built by the Z Zidonians and um, this they found a place that could be an altar they found a place where uh, all the articles of the tabernacle could have set and uh, they're starting to discover uh, some different things that that bring about the truths of the word of God out to us, letting us know that 
3,500 years ago this happened, and here's proof. <laughs> here's proof, and it's written in the Bible. And um, they were talking about a, today I was watching a, a YouTube video about this, and they found a, a piece of clay that had on it the markings of a servant of Josiah that's talked about in 2 Kings. Just telling us that, hey, that, that situation that was talked about in 2 Kings really happened, and here's the guy's name, and it's written right here on this piece of clay. And um, I just find that exciting. Amen, because the word of God is true. And then later on, of course, we know that the Solomon erects the temple, and it becomes the Temple Mount, and this is up above where David lived. This is now where uh, the Dome of the Rock stands, and this is uh, considered the most holy place for a lot of different people, several billion people on the face of the planet, um, because some of them believe that uh, Muhammad went to heaven from there, and others believe that um, that is where creation occurred, on that rock, and that is where Abraham offered up Isaac for a sacrifice. And so it's considered a very holy place. So when uh, Solomon builds the temple, the Bible tells us that, you know, he, he went about making this temple. And uh, now they've identified an area they think was the quarry for the rock that they pulled and made fit for the temple because there was no hammers at the job site. It was all pre-made, so when they got there, just had to set it in place. That the glory of the Lord, just like it did in the tabernacle in the wilderness uh, for Moses, the glory of the Lord came into the temple. The fire, once again, came down from heaven, filled the place. The priest could not even minister because the presence of the Lord was so rich. You ever been in a service like that where you could feel his presence? Man, I was at a youth camp and. 1967 or 8, somewhere in there, in Beulah Park, Santa Cruz, California. And they had a, a building where we had our evening services, and it was called, we called it the Tabernacle. Do you remember that, brethren, in Santa Cruz? And uh, on a particular night, the glory of the Lord was so strong, there was a cloud over the top of the building. And... Um, and people witnessed it. Now, I was inside praying. I didn't see it. I was trying to, you know, be a good boy because I was still a teenager and uh, had, had issues. I still have issues, don't I, huh? <laughs> um, but the Lord was merciful. Amen. Amen. <coughs> so the presence of God came into that holy place. And um, so his presence... Uh, filled the temple, and when you read Solomon's prayer, he said, God, if, if, if a person is on a far journey and can't make it back to this place, Lord, would you hear him if they'll just turn and face it to where your, your presence is? Now, I'm glad today we don't have to pray towards Jerusalem, that we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, we can go directly to him, and he hears us, and he is always present and always ready to meet our need. So we are a holy people. We are a holy people. He's always had a holy people going back to the Old Testament times, of beginning with Abraham, of course, who was the father of the faithful, the Hebrew says. And um, from him and his family, and consequently Jacob and on down the line, we have this family that are considered holy and separate from um, the world. They had a covenant. They had a sign from God that they followed. And um, they were a family that had dedicated themselves to following the one true God. Now, there was a lot of other gods in surrounding nations, but there was only one true God that they had never seen, but they believed in. Amen. And it wasn't until the, that family 
about 70 of them, the Bible says, went into Egypt because of the famine was so great that while they were there over 400 years, they became a great nation. Be that family became a nation, those 12 tribes of Israel, and they became a holy nation, a holy nation. And today, as God's represent representatives on the earth, we should be the holy people that God uses for his calling. Amen. So the children of Israel had a covenant with God. They dressed a certain way. They worshipped a certain way. They had the law given to them by Moses. They had uh, the ordinances that were given and they were to follow. They had the festivals that they had to go to every year um, and consequently they were separate from the world and they lived differently from the world but the nations that looked on them saw that they were blessed God blessed them when they came out of the wilderness uh, from through Egypt first of all they plundered Egypt they brought with them all the wealth of Egypt with them a lot of that was used to use to build some of the articles of the tabernacle. Um, but God gave them a country, a land, where they didn't have to plant the vineyards. They didn't have to build the houses. All the farming techniques were already there, but he had driven the people out before him, the Canaanites. And the Bible says he drove them out because they were wicked, they were evil. And he gave the land to Israel. And he always takes care of his holy people. Don't you want to be a holy people? <laughs> They'll take care of you? I've seen him do it time and time again. So they were a treasured nation. They were a treasured nation. The word peculiar in the original Hebrew can be translated down to to be shut up or guarded as in a valuable, something very valuable that it's peculiar. Peculiar. Say that, my brother. Thank you. That's a hard word for me to say. So it had to be closely guarded, closely guarded. And God guarded his people. As long as they walked in his precepts, as long as they followed his ordinances, he blessed them. We also know that when they didn't, what happened? <laughs> Nations would come in and conquer them. And uh, certainly uh, the record of the Babylonians coming and and taking them all away, taking them 750 miles away, making them servants. And for 70 years, they lived there, and that's where we get the story of the three Hebrew children and Daniel and the lion's den. And that all happened during captivity. Right. And um, But God always, he still take care of his people, right? He took care of those three Hebrew children that walked in the fire and weren't hurt. He took care of Daniel as he slept with the lions. Well, I don't know if he slept much, but he was in the lion's den overnight, right? God still took care of his people. Amen. So now today, our day, and I'm, I'm trying to turn a corner and get us around the corner. We're the church. We're a church, and God wants us to be a holy church. We're not the church down the street. We're not the church of some other denomination. We are a holy church. When Jesus was talking to his, his disciples, he said, uh, who do men say that I am? And some said, well, thou, some say you're Elias, some say you're John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had been beheaded. And uh, Peter, he, you know, impetuous Peter, he he just blurts out, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Which was a great revelation, right? Because a lot of people didn't, maybe some even <laughs> some of the disciples, didn't understand who he really was and his mission for coming. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, upon this rock, not Peter, but the truth that Peter talked about, right? The revelation of who he was. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When he spoke these words, Jesus, the church had not begun yet. It was still to come. It was still to come. Now, as it turns out, Peter was the one to stand up on that day when in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, we find out that they received the gift of the Holy Ghost that fell on them. Once again, there's fire represented because God is a fire. And um, Jeremiah says, it feels like fire shut up in my bones, right? Feels up. That'd be a good song, wouldn't it? And, uh, and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. It was Peter that stood up and said, uh, this is that spoken by the prophet Joel of the Old Testament. In the last days, I'm going to pour out of my spirit into all flesh, right? Your sons, your daughters are going to prophesy. This was the beginning of the church that particular day. It was the day, as it turns out, like we're going to uh, celebrate this coming Sunday, the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost had been going on for centuries, but on this day of Pentecost, there was something new happening. First fruits, first fruits, the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Ghost was poured out. The church was founded. And now we today are part of that church. If we've been born again, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, baptized in his name, we can walk as a glorious church. Bible says he's going to have a glorious church without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. Without any such thing. That tells me that you don't get to live any way you want to. Right? Because <clears throat> all of us have a, a different idea of what God expects. Right? And that's why we need the preaching of the word. The Bible says the preaching of the word perfects the saints. It perfects the saints. We need the preaching of the word. We need to hear the word preached with anointing and fervency. Amen. And I'm thankful that Brotherhood does exactly that. So when we come into the presence of God, we have to realize 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19, 20 tells us that um, we are sanctified. We're not our own anymore. We've been bought with a price. Jesus Christ, when he gave his life for us, he purchased or redeemed us, the Bible says, or redeemed, redeemed. And I remember it was a big deal as a kid to collect Coke bottles. You could go redeem them at the grocery store, right? You get three cents for a 16-ounce, and you had a quart, you get a nickel or a dime or something. And you could buy candy bars in those days for a nickel. <laughs> Believe it or not, and they were bigger, I think. <laughs> now, I ate too many of them, and I have the results of that in my body today. <laughs> God's spirit indwells in the church, and it must be holy and without blemish, without blemish. Amen. The church is a preserver of truth. If we don't preserve the truth in one generation, there will be no truth. In one generation, there will be no truth. What you let down, what you let go, they're not going to pick it back up. Right? The compromise, the spirit of compromise will come in and pretty soon think that, well, that was important for mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, or poppy or whatever you call them in these days. But I don't think we need that anymore. Let me remind you, God is holy. God is holy. He changes not. So, let me skip ahead here. Get us to uh, where you'd rather be worshiping the Lord rather than hearing me talk. I had a... <laughs> Interesting ha thing happened this week. We were talking to a travel agent because we're planning our 50th wedding anniversary next year. <laughs> and it takes us a year to pay something off before we can go anywhere. And the guy tells me, he says, uh, and I've never met him. His name's Jerry Figueroa, goes to the church in San Francisco. 
and he says, you know, you have a voice like the guy that leaves the light on, Tom Bodet. <laughs> Tom Bodet. Well, we left the lights on for you tonight, and um, I, hope, I hope that anything that I have said tonight have encouraged you to take a look at the way that you live, the choices that you make, and decide, is this really that important? Is it really that important that I pick this up, that I do this thing, that I go this place, that I associate with this group of people? Um, I'm not telling you to have the convictions I have because you may have convictions that I'm not convicted about either. But I'm asking you to, to look at a holy God compare the way that you're living and the choices you make and say, is this what God wants for my life? And I think if we're careful about comparing what we think is important to what God says is important, we'll start making right choices, right? We'll start making right choices. And that's what righteousness is. It's just making right choices making right choices. I want to make the right choice to serve the Lord. I want to walk in his ways, for he is holy. He is, like I've said two or three times now, a consuming fire, and he's not done with you. He's still got you in the refining process, right? God told Jeremiah, I believe it was, to go down to the potter's house and, and watch him work on the wheel and make a vessel. And outside the potter's house was a lot of shards of broken vessels that, that had flaws in them. And when they were heated up, they, they broke. And sometimes that happens to us, doesn't it? We get, we get in a, a heated situation. And if we're not in tune with God, we'll break. Yeah. We'll break. But if we'll allow ourselves to stay on the wheel, allow him to mold and shape us into his image, right? That only happens with, with the pressure of the hand. His hand, putting pressure on the vessel, makes it develop into what he wants it to be. And I want to be a vessel of honor, right? There were a lot of vessels in the Old Testament. They talk about them around the tabernacle. Some of them were vessels of honor, and some were vessels of dishonor because they carried out the trash, and they carried out the innards of the animals and the different things. But I want to be a vessel of honor. I want God to use me. I want God to, to help me be the man that lives a holy life and represent it to those around me, that that becomes my testimony, that people see in me that, hey, there's something different there. I've seen him go through some stuff, and look, he's, he's still serving God. And don't you want that to be your testimony? Amen. Ask Pastor Hood to come. Thank you for your attention. Lord bless you. Let's live holy. Amen. Why don't we stand across the building and lift up our hands? Come on, let's pray all across this building. What a wonderful word we heard here tonight. And I think he opened it up just right. Amen. I want to be like Jesus. That's what we're doing when we say we want God to refine us down. I want to be conformed to the image of His dear Son. I don't come to church to be religious. I don't come to church so that I can, I can be better than I was. Amen. I've come to be like Jesus and to get, get that refining, get that consuming fire working in my life. I want to be a vessel of honor. How about you? I want to be holy like He's holy. I want to be, I want to be, I want God, whatever it, whatever it takes, God, whatever you got to remove from my life, whatever you have to add to my life, God. Amen. If you've, got to, if you've got to extract something, Jesus, I want you to do it because I want to be pleasing in your sight. Is that your prayer here today? Come on, let's pray all across this building. Let's pray all across this building. I want to open up this altar. Would you come and just make a commitment here today? Pray before the Lord. Amen. Maybe, maybe just lift up your voice and say, God, whatever you got to refine in my life, God, maybe it's my thought process that Maybe I've been thinking and it's not holy the way you want it to be. And maybe it's the way I've been talking and as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Maybe there's some unholiness coming out 
some conversations I've had that maybe haven't been so holy. Maybe some things I've been watching, God, that haven't been so holy. God, I pray, purify me here today. Come on, would you lift up your voice? Maybe God's been speaking to you about the way you've been dressing or maybe the way you've been living and the people you've been surrounding yourself with. God, I want to be holy without spot, without wrinkle. Come on, let's pray all across this place. you lift up your voice and magnify him. We're going to sing this again here in a moment. We have been called into holiness. We've been called to be like Jesus. That's what you're doing every time you come to church, every time you go to pray, every time you read the word. You're saying, Lord, I want to be holy like you. Amen. Hallelujah. Would you love him all across this building? We're going to sing that one more time. I want to be holy like you. Would you let that be your prayer here today? Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the teaching that we receive here tonight, God. You are not coming back for a church that is given over to this world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in them. You've not called us, amen, unto more ungodliness to be like our world in our present society, but you have called your church to be a holy church. And that is our desire here at Apostolic Revival Center, God. We want to obey your word. There's going to be times where we're going to slip up and fall and not do it right. But, God, I pray that you would lead us, amen, in the Holy Ghost, in the Holy Spirit, to be holy like you. I pray that you would touch each and every heart here tonight, that they would take this word and apply it, amen, in their daily lives. In Jesus' wonderful name, and everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. In Jesus' name.